Did I say you could sit down? <laughs> I'm glad you did because I would have forgotten to. I'm really, uh, man, it's good to be up here teaching the Word of God. Um, kind of hard to recover after that. Isn't worship good? I'm so thankful that we've got a team like that. I'm, I'm thankful for Alex and, and, and me not have to worry about being able to come up here and take a, take a chance to preach. And so I'm just, I'm thankful. Uh, how many of you have ever thought about what it would be like to sit and share a meal with Jesus? Anybody? I saw a couple of hands back there. Okay, this, I don't know if this is a, an odd thing, but this is something, I was really glad Dave asked me to teach in this series because this is something I've thought about a lot. Um, those of you who know, I love to eat. I love food. I love trying new food. But I have thought a lot growing up about what it would be like to share a meal with Jesus. Um, what, would, what would we talk about? What would that conversation be like while we were sitting there? Where, what would be the occasion for the meal? What kind of, what kind of food uh, would we, obviously with this series, we'd obviously be eating burgers. Uh, but it's just one of those things that I really desire to be able to do, and it's something I've thought about a lot in my life. And, and maybe one day when we get to heaven, I'll be able to sit down and, and have a burger with Jesus and share some hot wings or something and ask questions. But it's just something I've thought about a lot. So... When we started this series last week, talking about different times that Jesus shared meals with people in the Bible, right? And uh, hence, burgers with Jesus, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, John talked about how Jesus went to Matthew and called Matthew to follow him and then went to his house and they had a meal. And um, if you were here last week, you saw this, this graphic up here, this burgers with Jesus. There was also, there was a video that accompanied that. And that video was, was of a burger being made. And now, here's what a lot of you may not know. We have a creative team here at Eastside, and uh, Jordan Puckett, our technical director, um, he leads that team. And so this team puts together videos and production stuff, and most all of the videos that you see shown from this stage are videos that they have shot, produced, and edited in the back room, out in the field, whatever. But can we give it up for their team? Now, I'm, I'm being kind for a minute because I'm gonna be rude here in another minute. So, I'm in my office. They don't let me be part of that team. I check in and ask what's going on sometimes, but I usually give suggestions and they laugh at me about those suggestions, but that's okay. Um, I, am, I am starting to smell the most wonderful smell that I have smelled in a long time. And I'm searching for this like a bloodhound. And I go outside and there's a charcoal grill. Not a, not a propane grill, but the stuff that we used to use when we were younger, you poured a bag of charcoal on it. John's back there licking his lips already. There's a charcoal grill going, it's cold outside and I'm smelling it. And then I see them start slapping burgers on the grill and I'm like, What'd you call it, grub? Let's get some grub. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I am hopeful that, that these burgers are gonna be cooked up and I'm gonna be offered one of them. What do you guys think? That's exact, <laughs> that's what I wrote here. Nope. 
They finished the video shoot. I found them all sitting in the back room eating these delicious, beautiful char-grilled burgers. Look just like that that was up there. And um, I went to the gas station and got a slice of cold cheese pizza and just ate in shame. So um, I, was a little, I was a little disappointed about that, but that's okay. Um, as, we start, as we start into this sermon today, this lesson, uh, this, this series is kind of cool that it's basically just there's different stories in the Bible of different times people had a meal with Jesus. And so for mine, Dave said, run with it. See what, see what you want to do with it and stuff. There's a lot of different ways I could go. So I want to play a little Bible trivia with you. We got one Bible trivia question before we get started. And we're going to put something on the screen and I'm going to ask a question. I want to see if you guys can guess what Bible story this is. So you guys think you can do that? And what I want you to do when it's up there, I just want you to yell it out. Are we ready? Okay. So a dead guy, two sisters and a thief all walk into a room. There's pastors over here. You all be quiet. You're not supposed to know that one. We got any guessers? Yeah, Lazarus. So good. Three of you read your Bible. This is, this is going great so far. So <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a section in the book of John. Um, and I find this entire story absolutely fascinating. That's probably why it took me till 3 a.m. to finish it last night. Um, and learn about a meal that Jesus had with some friends in their home after the brother had been dead for several days and then he raised him from the dead. So we're really gonna be talking about Jesus eating with the dead guy, okay? The people that we're talking about in this passage uh, go by the name of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, which are his sisters, and then Judas. Now, there, there are more people um, in the story than that. But those are the four along with Jesus that we're gonna focus on for today. Is that cool? And we're gonna wake you all up before it's over with, I promise. We're gonna give burgers out again. Uh, before we jump into this text, you guys, if you've heard me speak before, I'm really big on, on context. And that's probably something I've learned from our lead pastor, Dave. Um, I like to read before and after the story to make sure that I'm not taking anything out of context. And so there's, there's some stuff before we get into John 12 that we really need to cover. And so I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna talk about some things that happened leading up to this dinner so you can kind of see, okay, that's how all these people get at that table together. So we know this, we know that Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We know that they were all friends. We have, we have documentation in scripture that Jesus had spent time in their home before. So this was a group of friends. Think of this as maybe like your life group or your friend group. I don't know if they had life groups per se back then, but let's just think in a, in a modern day term. Hey, Jesus, you wanna come over? Uh, we're grilling out tonight. Cool, I'll be there in a little bit. Are Mary and Martha gonna be there? Yeah, awesome, I'll be there. Okay, so this is kind of like a group of friends hanging out in their house together. We know this, we know that Lazarus was raised from the dead. And in chapter 11 in John, it recounts all of that of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Jesus gets word from Mary and Martha, the sisters that their brother had died or that their brother was sick per se. And it is referenced then in verse three um, in chapter 11, that when they, are, when they are telling Jesus this, they said, you know, Jesus, the one that you love 
is sick. So we read that, that leads us to believe that Jesus and Lazarus aren't just acquaintances, they're not just buds, they're pretty tight friends. If his sisters are calling and saying, hey, our brother, you know the one that you love, your bro? He's really, really sick. And so it kind of shows us that Jesus and Lazarus were pretty good friends. So his sisters are saying, you, lo you love him, he's sick. Jesus then waits. Here's the kicker here. He waits several days, but then tells the disciples that Lazarus is asleep, but they're just gonna go wake him up. So I'm sure the disciples are like, wait, this dude, this dude is sick. Uh, he had died, and now Jesus is saying, we're gonna wait several days before we even make the trip to see him because he's just asleep and he's gonna wake up. Now, we, we all know better. A lot of us have probably heard this story, but the disciples didn't know that at the time. So Mary and Martha, the sisters, they are obviously very upset that their brother has passed away and that Jesus didn't come as quick as they wanted him to, that they, he didn't show up as fast as they thought he should. So then in, in chapter 11, verse 33, I love this. Um, Jesus shows up then. And Jesus sees people weeping for Lazarus and he's deeply moved. And it says, when Jesus saw them weeping, or when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And so Jesus, we see in this moment, Jesus has pain and empathy for his friends and for his friend's sister and for his friend that had died. Then, 10 verses later, Jesus walks up to that tomb and nobody thought this was gonna happen and he said, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And here walks out a dead guy. Well, he's alive now, I guess I shouldn't say that. Here comes a guy that had just been dead, all wrapped up, and walks out of the tomb in front of everybody. And I'm sure that everybody is probably freaking out like what in the world is going on? They believed Jesus, but I don't know if they really believed that this dude was just gonna get up and walk out of the tomb and kind of be like, hey, peace guys, I'm back, what's up? I doubt that that happened. I, I, would you all believe that if, if, if that happened here? It'd be hard to believe. So we got all this, all this has happened. Lazarus raises from the dead. Jesus comes to their aid. The sisters say, this is the one you love. They're showing the friendship of the group. So now here's what happens next. Mary and Martha host a dinner in honor of Jesus raising their brother from the dead. And so that's where we're going to start today. And that is gonna be in John chapter 12. Now, as we get ready to read this, this sermon was a little bit different uh, to write for me because I love telling stories while I preach. Um, I've got not gotten to do this a whole lot, but I love telling stories and I like saying, reading scripture and saying, oh, I can relate that to something that happened in my life or I remember this story about so-and-so, I can tie that into that. This was, this was different. I'm telling, there are no stories tonight. The story is in the story. And so we're gonna stay basically in John chapter 12 for the first 10 verses of that. And we're gonna dig through all this together and we're gonna unpack this and we're gonna see what happens at the end. Sound good? Yep. All right, so um, if you've got your Bible, get it out. We're gonna read these 10 verses together. If you don't have it, they're gonna be up on the screen here. So John chapter 12, 
Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor, he asks. It was worth a year's wages. Now, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse seven, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and they came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Okay, um, where do we start? 10 verses, a lot of stuff going on in there. We've got people eating, we've got people at a party, we have people celebrating that Lazarus is alive. We've got his, his, the oldest sister, Martha, taking care of everybody. Uh, Martha loved to take care of people. She loved to serve people. She liked to make sure everything was perfect. We've got Mary who was honoring Jesus. We've got Judas over on the side being a creep. There's this large crowd gathering outside because they hear that, oh man, Jesus, the Messiah that we believe to be the Messiah, maybe we're coming to check this guy out. But he's also got this dead dude in here that was in the grave stinking just a couple days ago. Let's go see what that's all about. And then you've got the priests who are mad and upset because Jesus raised somebody from the dead. So they said, well, rather than let Jesus get credit for a miracle, we're gonna go ahead and just kill Lazarus for good this time. I don't know why that's funny, but there's a lot going on here. There's a lot in these 10 verses to unpack. Now we, could, we can go down several side roads here, but um, here's, here's what I want us to do. I really, really, really want us to paint a picture of that dinner, of that time of gathering. I wanna set up these characters in this story just a bit so we know who we're dealing with once we get to the end. And all this, is gonna make, all this is gonna make sense. But first, I really would like to, if you guys kind of just go on a, a journey with me of what this room could have looked like, okay? Now, nothing that I'm getting ready to say comes from those 10 verses. Everything I'm getting ready to say for trying to paint the picture of this room comes from me just doing some research and saying, what would a, what would a Jewish living room look like? What would a meal look like that they shared back then? What would a, a feast have looked like? And just taking some historical documentation and just saying, here's maybe, maybe what they were experiencing in that room. So let's, let's, let's go here for a minute. Um, the customary dinner style for what they may have had as, as decor or what's, what's the word, interior decoration, that's something that I'm not good at. Oriental custom was kind of 
was the kind of the, uh, the trend of the day. Uh, the, typically, these were a lot of low-seated seated couches. And when I say low-seated, I don't mean like a small couch. I mean like couches that were down like this to almost where you could just lay back and recline on them. They typically had uh, tapestries of some sort or blankets or maybe animal hides that they would rest on. And so when you came in to chill, you, you actually chilled. You actually kind of laid out on these low sitting couches. They were typically arranged in an inverted U shape. Okay, so you've got your very low seated seated table in front of you. So let's, let's just say this was 12 inches off the ground, the table was. And then behind it, you've got this U shape of seats of these low sitting couches. So everybody's just kind of chilling, laid back, relaxing, laughing. Um, they've got the table that they're setting the table. And here is some of the food that they may have been partaking in in the day. This would have been a big spread for a feast like that. Here's some of the things they would have had. Now, I'm, I am somebody that enjoys odd cuisines. So this Mediterranean style, this is, this is right up my alley. Some of you are probably gonna say this sounds terrible, but goat, lamb, fish, they had a lot of beans, they had a lot of lentils, a lot of vegetables, uh, olives, dates, figs, different herbs, bitter herbs that they would, that they would eat to, as a palate cleanser, uh, unleavened bread. So they've got all this spread of all kinds of stuff on this table and they're sitting back eating and I, I can imagine them laughing and celebrating. Um, this dude was dead a couple days before that and now he's not dead. And so you've got a room, you imagine that probably the disciples are in there with Jesus because they were all always together and Judas is there. We're told Judas is there so it would make sense the rest of them are there also. So let's, let's look at some of the characters and, and namely, we gotta talk about this Lazarus guy first. Now, here's what we know about Lazarus. We're gonna set up his profile just a little bit. Lazarus lives in the town of Bethany. It's a town near Jerusalem. He is a follower of Jesus. He's the brother of Mary and Martha who are also followers of Jesus. Now we are told, like we said earlier, we are told in chapter 11, verse three, that Jesus loves Lazarus. And it says, see, he loved, the one that you love is sick. Jesus loves Lazarus, indicating that they were close friends. So we talked about that. We know that about him. Um, in chapter 12, verse two, it says, he was reclining at the table with Jesus. So they actually say, I didn't make that up, that they were chilling, just laying there, waiting for the food to come. Now, now here's, here's what absolutely blows my mind. What in the world do you think Lazarus could have been thinking sitting there? Was he, was he just like, yeah, bro, I'm, I'm here, we're having a good time? Or, or is, he, is he just piling food in his mouth, yucking it up, laughing with everybody, being like, yeah, dude, this guy right over here, I was dead a couple days ago, and then he told me I didn't have to be dead anymore. And so I walked out of the grave and they took all these cloths of them. Like, High five, let's go. Hey, Jesus, are you gonna finish that fish that you're eating down there? If not, can you pass it down here? I'm gonna eat it. Like what in the world would Lazarus been, could he have been sitting there thinking? Or is he just sitting there looking at Jesus in awe saying, I used to hang out with you when I was alive and then I died 
and now I'm hanging out with you again while I'm alive. What in the world is going on? Unfortunately, Scripture tells us nothing about any words that Lazarus said. All it says is Lazarus was raised from the dead, and then he's sitting there relaxing at the table with Jesus. Mary and Martha, the two sisters, both live in Bethany. Lazarus was their brother, also followers of Jesus. Martha is the oldest sister, Mary the younger. In verse two, Martha was up serving, and you see that this is very typical of her in other places in scripture. Martha, Martha took care of people. Martha made sure everybody was okay. Martha, um, sounds like Martha was a really good host. She wanted people to be comfortable and make sure their needs were met in her home. Martha loved to serve and take care of people. And that's very typical for an older sibling uh, thing too. I'm, I'm the oldest sibling, and so I, I understand that, that world a little bit. Then we see in verse three that Mary, the youngest sister, is just chilling and spending time at the feet of Jesus, just hanging out. And I can imagine that she just is kind of looking up at him in awe. Because I think she knows who he really is. And she's not gonna lose the opportunity to sit at his feet. Because nothing's more important to her. So while her sister is over here getting angry in the kitchen, because Mary's just chilling, Mary then, we're told, takes... Um, pure nard, which is an expensive perfume. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. And she pours that on Jesus' feet. She pours a whole bottle of expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And Martha's probably looking in there, rolling her eyes like, yep, I'm, I'm going to get stuck doing all this again. And Mary is just happy to be sitting with Jesus. Let's switch to Judas. And yes, this is the same, this is Judas Iscariot. This is a Judas that betrayed Jesus. Judas was one of the 12 chosen disciples. He was in charge of the disciples' funds, so he was kind of a treasurer of sorts. He was the only disciple that was not from Galilean descent. So he was not a descendant of of. of where Galilee was. He was not a descendant of that. And so um, as I read that, I realized, man, he, I, wonder, I wonder if at times with the, other, with the other 11 as part of the 12, I wonder if there was times that um, he felt a little different than the others. The only one that was not of that, of that bloodline descent. Judas spent three and a half years in ministry with Jesus, walking side by side with Jesus. And if you think about that and let that get down in you, that'll mess with you a little bit, that the very guy that betrayed him walked by his side for three and a half years. Saw everything he did, all the miracles he performed. In Hebrew, Judas's name means praised or the praised one, which I, I, I never knew that. And I found that to be very fascinating that the guy that sells Jesus off is, is his name means the praised one. Thought that was very interesting. We see in verse six that, that John, the writer of this, says that Judas was the thief. I mean, he says it right here. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So we, we, we look at these characters and we got a little bit of their backstory. We kind of have an idea of where they were sitting. And we've got Lazarus and Jesus and Mary and Martha and Judas over here on the side being skeptical. And we could go so many different directions now that we've got this set up and we don't have the time to do that. But what I felt God really had to jump off the page at me over the last several days as I was just praying, God, which direction you want me to, want me to go with this? And this, this, is, um, this has shook me this week. Here's what I really, really got from reading this story. The contrast between the generosity of Mary and the selfishness of Judas is absolutely striking. The generosity of Mary versus the selfishness of Judas. And I wanna focus on that dynamic for just a little bit. I want you to look at this, uh, a couple things with me. Let's talk, let's talk again about Mary. Let's continue building who she is. Mary was so hyper-focused on what Jesus had done for her brother, on what she believed Jesus to be. She treated him as her everything. She was generous. She was selfless. She showed him how valuable she believed him to be. She proved that. She was engaged, she was present, she sat at his feet. You can, I can just hear that, that in conversation, them talking about it, now Judas came out of the tomb and they're all laughing and, and, and excited about that. And then I love how in verse seven, after Judas is going off on her and kind of condemning her, Jesus, Jesus looks at Judas, he says, leave her alone. You leave her alone. Jesus came to her defense and he came to her defense because what she was doing was right and what she was doing was, was holy in his sight. He saw her for being righteous, for doing that. And so he said, I'm gonna come to her defense. You leave her alone. You don't bother her. She used pure nard. We said we were gonna talk about this. Pure nard was a fragrant ointment that was imported at the time from the mountains of India. And so they didn't just put stuff on a truck, fly it to UPS and a FedEx or Amazon truck deliver it to our door. No, they probably packed this up, put it on camelback or, or, or a donkey or whatever they use, sled dogs, I don't know what they used, probably camels. Did I just say sled dogs? <laughs> Pretty sure it's desert over there. But anyway, it came from the mountains of India. Um, this stuff was really, really expensive to get it transported all the way there. Here's how expensive it was. We know this, we know that it said, he says that was 300 denarii. 300 denarii was equal to one year's wage at that time, a whole year of wages. Or being that he was speaking of, she could have fed the poor with that that one pint of nard could have served a meal to 7,500 people. Fill this room up 10 times, full to the brim. That's how many people that could have fed. 
And instead, she took that. She knelt down. She poured the ointment on his feet. And she knelt down and she wiped his feet with her hair. Think about that. You ever thought about wiping someone's feet with your hair? I have not. Think about in those days, they didn't have shoes on like we do. They had open-toe sandals. They walked everywhere in the dirt. There wasn't nice black asphalt and concrete. If they got lucky, they were on a cobblestone road a brick-paved road, most of the time, feet just exposed. And I don't know how, I don't know what the custom was if they gave their feet a thorough scrubbing when they came into the house, I doubt it. But this woman got on her hands and knees and took a year's salary and poured it on his feet and knelt down and wiped it off with her hair. She knew how much he was worth. And she knew how much she valued Jesus. Let's switch to Judas now. I don't want to, but we have to. Judas got mad that the expensive perfume was used to anoint Jesus' feet by Mary. He made up this excuse that it should have been used for the poor instead of wasted on Jesus. In all reality, let's be honest, he was just mad that there was less in the coin purse for him to skim off the top because she had probably used some of that to purchase that. So instead of honoring him, he's ticked off that he doesn't have a little extra money to put in his pocket. He was absent, he wasn't present, he was withdrawn. This is the guy that had spent years walking beside Jesus. It almost makes me mad to think about that man. If I had the opportunity to spend three and a half years walking by Jesus' side and then he went to heaven, I feel like I literally would be able to change the world with what I learned from him. But maybe Judas felt like that at some point in time too. He spent years walking beside Jesus and he was so wrapped up in his own desires, he was so wrapped up in his own sin that he did not pay any attention to Jesus' value. You see in verse four there in the 12th chapter, um, when they talk about one of the disciples, Jesus Iscariot was there, who was later to betray him. We all know what that means, right? It means that fast forward to the next chapters in John where Judas sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And... Um, there's a part of me that wish I wouldn't have discovered this this week because it's, it's, um, it's, it's taken a lot out of me thinking about this the last couple of days. Um, Jesus was sold for less than what it cost to buy that bottle of perfume. So our Savior was sold 
for less than a nice bottle of cologne or perfume. And it just shows how, how little the priests valued him. Said he's not worth anything. So at this wonderful dinner where a man has been raised from the dead into new life because of the power of Jesus and the love that Jesus had for people, this is what we see. Mary is wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and Judas is stealing from the money bag. How often, church, I'm talking to myself, how often are we Mary and how often are we Judas? Are we giving him his proper place as Lord in our lives? Are we sitting at his feet? Are we soaking in his words? Are we living in awe and reverence of what he says? Are we like Mary? Are we willing to give all of it? How much, be honest, because I'll be honest. How, how many of us would give up a year's salary just to give a gift to Jesus? It's easy to say I would. It's easy to say, yeah, I'd do that. <sighs> That's hard to give a gift to somebody. Yet Mary was willing to do that. Are we like Judas? Are we distant from Jesus even when we go to church on Sunday? Even though we show up here every single week? Is our hand in the coin purse holding back from him what is rightfully his? Are we robbing him with our tithes? Are we robbing him with our time? Are we robbing him with our attention? Are we putting the value on him that he not only deserves, but desires from us? When was the last time that we sat at his feet and just looked up at him in awe that he was even in the same room as us? I heard a quote um, the other day, and it says this. It says, if following Jesus isn't changing you, you might not be following Jesus. And I said, man, that's, that's perfect. I can, I can take that and I can change that and flip that around a little bit. I, today, I think it's fitting if we said this. If valuing Jesus isn't changing you, you might not be valuing Jesus. If valuing Jesus and putting the rightful value on him that he deserves is not changing us from the inside out, then we probably don't have the proper value assigned to him. Come on. He valued them, but not all of them valued him. He valued them, but not all of them valued him. Everybody in that room, he valued the people in that room. He loved those people in that room. He values you. He loved Lazarus just the same as he loves you. He spent time with Mary and Martha just the same as he wants to spend time with us. And he made 
it doesn't matter what the end result was. At one point in time, he made Judas one of his 12 disciples. He could have picked anybody. Judas got to be one of the 12. I'd like to be one of the 12. And I've not done what Judas did to, to Jesus, but I sure have done some things. He let Judas be one of the 12 disciples. He wants you to be a disciple too. Do we know when we get down to it, do we really, really know and do we understand how much Jesus values us? Because we're talking about Mary putting the right value on Jesus and we're talking about Judas not putting the right value on Jesus. But what it boils down to is do we understand and do we really grasp in our lives how much he values us? And if you don't believe me, let me show you. Give you some snapshots of some stuff. John 15, 15, Jesus calls us friend. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, he calls us loved and chosen. These sound like value terms to me, don't they? Is he putting, put some value on his name? Put some value on our name? Ephesians 2, 10, he calls us a work of art, a masterpiece. You know how masterpieces is what they sell for in museums? Lots of money. There's value. Galatians 3.26, he calls us, calls us his children. So I can prove that he values us. He calls us his friend. He calls us a masterpiece. He says that we're loved and chosen, that we're a work of art. He says that we are his children. Do we value our children in this room? Yes. Judas is often accused of being the absolute worst of the worst. And, and please, please don't get me wrong, I'm not arguing against that. Um, he, did, he did in fact sell the savior of the world um, over to be mocked, tortured, and killed. So I am in agreement with that. But there was a time that Jesus gave him a seat at the table. There was a time that he says, Judas eats too. But have you thought about this? There was also a time that all the other disciples ran away. They turned their backs too. They may not have sold him for the 30 pieces of silver, but they didn't show up when he needed them there, did they? So, Judas betrayed him, the other disciples abandoned him, Peter denied him, right? All those things happened, they're all in here. How many of us have not put the proper value on Jesus? How many of us have betrayed him, abandoned him, denied him? And it almost seems unfair to say this next part, but yet, he still looks at me and calls me a masterpiece. When I've spent a large part of my life with my hand dug in the coin purse. He values us that much. He understands proper value when we don't. I was, um, I'm gonna wrap it up in, in a minute here. I wanna tell you this story. So I wasn't gonna tell any stories. I guess it's not technically a story. 
I was struggling trying to figure out how to finish this sermon and wrap it up. And we have a, we have a young lady in our church named Bailey Houston. Um, she's one of our young adults. And um, she's been an intern here with us. This young woman loves Jesus. She loves our church. She loves the kids in our church. She loves our staff. And we all love her. And she was, um, she was babysitting mine and Abby, my wife. She was babysitting our kids for a few hours the other day. And she just asked me, How, how's the sermon coming along? And I'm like, I, I, I think I'm there. I don't, I don't know. I gave her a little overview. And I was just I'm a little struggling with the ending. And she mentions um, the alabaster box. And some of you that are a, a student of this word of God will know what that is. And those that don't, I'm going to explain it. The alabaster box in Mark chapter 14, it tells the same story as John chapter 12, what we just read. It says the same story, just has different details. And that's what you'll see a lot with the gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A lot of the same stories, just different details. And in Mark 14, it talks about an alabaster box that's filled with pure nard. And an alabaster box was a like a marble um, type stone that was cut and crafted. It was very, very valuable. So you got this expensive nard in this alabaster box, which was also so two very valuable things. Bailey told me to look up this song called Alabaster Jar or Alabaster Box. It's kind of the same thing. And uh, thank you, Bailey, because um, you doing that and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit in that you wrote the end of this sermon. Um, I looked up that song and I said, yep, that's it. Doesn't need to be my words. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read some of the words to this song. If I can. This alabaster jar is all I have of worth. I break it at your feet, Lord, even though it's less than you deserve. You're far more beautiful, more precious than any oil. The sum of my desires and the fullness of my joy. Like you spilled your blood, I'll spill my heart as an offering to my king. Here I am, take me as an offering. Here I am giving every heartbeat for your glory. Take me. This time that I have left is all I have of worth. I lay it at your feet, Lord, even though it's less than you deserve. And though I have little strength and though my days may be few, you gave your life for me, so I'll live my life for you. Like you spilled your blood, I spill my heart. As an offering to my king, here I am, take me as an offering. Here I am giving every heartbeat for your glory. Here I am, take me. 
do we value him this way? Are we giving Jesus his proper value, his proper place in our life? Are we willing to be like Mary? Are we willing to kneel? To pour everything out? Everything that we have that's worth anything, are we willing to dump it at his feet? For no gain of our own, but simply because he is worthy, he is holy, he is deserving, and he is more valuable to us than anything. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for how your word in the Bible comes alive. Thank you for examples of Mary who gave all she had and wiped your feet with her hair because she knew your value. <coughs> Father, teach us to put the proper value on you each and every day as you do for us. Help us to quit holding on to things for ourselves that were meant to be yours all along. We love you, Jesus. And everybody says, Amen.